God, it's so good. That song is so good, isn't it? Yeah. I want like a follow up from Gibbs. It never gets old. Can we interview him? He should come on the show. It never gets old. He'll come on let's, the show. Let's interview him. Let's make it an NFT. Let's sell it. Let's not give him any of it. <laughs> and let's, let's, let's make it real. Well, you heard it here, Gibbs. Uh, We're going to profit uh, off you. Oh, who's holding your camera, Corey? Move again. Move to the right. Like that? Oh, uh, look at what's going on what? here. What? <laughs> Anyways, hello, everybody. Welcome to the Bitcoin podcast. Uh, this is the show where sometimes we talk about Bitcoin, uh, but most times we why is Negro Domus up there? Oh, sorry. Uh, you know, shout out to Paul Mooney. We got to start the episode, right? Since we are recruiting, record, recruiting, we are recording slash streaming uh, when, uh, you know, he passed away today, today being May 19th. 2021 paul mooney the character that plays that guy that you see up there it's so hard up there i got you bro yeah (laughs) this guy this guy uh he passed away the guy that plays not negro damas so anyways uh, i like to i'm gonna put i'm gonna put on my negro damas hat today in this episode but hey guys welcome to the bitco podcast this episode uh it's up there uh, I'm the host that talks. <laughs> I'm the host that talks first. D. I'm the host that talks after him. Dr. And, Corey Petty. Uh, yeah. And I'm the host that talks third. Jesse broke. Episodes are a bit weird now because we have the interview and the roundtable as separate things. Yeah, but so the like episode numbers are kind of dumb at this point. No, they're not. Nothing is dumb are unless they? you let it be dumb. All right, cool. They're, they're rock solid. Cool. Yeah. What episode so, number is this, by the way? I think it's like 353. Okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, you know, if this is your first time listening or watching, uh, this is a show where we talk about Bitcoin sometimes, crypto all the time. Ah, that's a good tag. Not all the time. Oh, that's we, actually we go nice. on some tangents. Well, that's true. We do go on tangents. Hard tangents. Uh, today, we're talking about... Um, well, we can't avoid. We can't avoid talking about. There's been a what forty percent drop, fifty percent drop Depends since on Friday. Game, yeah, depends yeah. on how your portfolio was set up. But old Elon decided to take a dump on crypto on Friday. I guess he got bored, uh, being a, being a genius, or he sold the top and he's trying to buy. More. <laughs> There's no manipulating a market that's unregulated. So he's probably like, you know what? I like the way this Bitcoin shit tastes. I love the way people are talking about me. I'm gonna go ahead and manipulate this market real quick. You know, send out some tweets that I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about and watch this market jiggity drop and then buy some more Bitcoin when it gets to a certain level point. Now, I know it's very confident of a man of myself who doesn't send rockets into space that can land themselves to say that that man who leads a company that sends rockets into space and lands them and so we can use them again doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about, uh, but he doesn't. So um, let's go into that. He's a yeah. Yeah, Doge, Doge millionaires, Captain Mr. Musk. So should we go into how he doesn't know what he's talking about, or should we just keep it moving? Ah, so I'll, I'll say this much: like I said that. So there's a conversation of this in the Slack. Um, so put it up, join the Slack. There's a lot of things going on. Yeah, in terms of conversation about crypto that never makes it to the podcast, but is incredibly relevant. Uh, join that, become a part of it, contribute learn make us smarter yeah um but like as i was talking in that conversation 
based on everything I know like about what Elon has done and the things I've read about him and the way he makes decisions and builds companies, he he is a what's called a first principles thinker. <laughs> Doesn't necessarily go along with a concept of like uh, this is what everyone is doing and this is how I contribute to it. He starts problems from like a first principles, mm. like these are the things that are true. How do I build things from here? This is a logical conclusion. This is what I'm going to do. And if that happens to be against the grain, he doesn't care. And this is why, more often than not, he builds companies that do things that go up against like titans in the industry, like space exploration and in the in, in the autom- automotive industry. I'm sure there's plenty of arguments around this. I already see comments in the live section. That's that gives me. Uh, uh, around like arguing with that, but like he's not dumb at all. No, he's not. He's just in this thing. He's in this instance, a little bit out of he ignorance. Is just a little bit. So like, so when he talks about the, the, the like, uh, okay, let's let's break down like one instance of what he said, and that yeah, is funny. like, uh, Bitcoin is 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 sustained on energy, which is fueled by cold oil right like the, the very yeah. security that backs the bitcoin network is run by asics which is fueled by energy which is fueled by coal and so like the, the the majority of the arguments against this are probably one of two things that i've seen so far one is uh the majority of the mining in the crypto industry is done off renewable energy the evidence for this as far as I've seen so far, is is very small and based on a lot of assumptions that then take those assumptions way further than they should be. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but even if we take that, even if we assume that's true, uh, there's an episode with Corey Doctorow on Epicenter, Epicenter Bitcoin, where he brings this up as well and says, even if that's true, there's still a better allocation of energy resources that should be that should be used outside of putting it to Bitcoin, like smelting, like resmelting aluminum. And so, even if it's done through renewable resources, there's still better use cases of renewable resources. And I agree with this because there are alternative ways for doing distributed consensus than proof of work that are arguably just as good that don't require the country level size of electricity to get there so like in this case i think he's right and the arguments that i've seen from bitcoin maximalists are pretty much garbage that don't require the country you listening to youtube or facebook no i forgot to mute that tab sorry there's a little bit of a delay <laughs> you're watching us yeah so I was... the other argument um that i think people have had let me think about this is uh, there's another one that I that I had in mind that I can't remember off the top of my head. There's the renewable energy resources, and then there is. I'll come back to me. I'll come back to. So me. my whole argument is this: is that like the argument here is it energy consumption or emissions, right? That's the thing. Because if he's talking about emissions, and if what they could say is that as if the emissions of the Bitcoin network are more than that of the country of Argentina, or more than that of the country of uh, I don't know, Nicaragua or something like that, then that's a that's a sound argument. If you talk about energy consumption, I don't know, like, what's the big deal about consuming energy nobody else is going to use anyways? Most no, of the time, people, people are using excess energy. 
people will use it. That's the argument. Like that there are a lot of reasons to use that excess energy. It isn't just super excess. That's still a market. Yeah. And a market that could be used for a lot of things that could be arguably more viable, especially when consensus can be done alternatively. If there was no other way to do distributed consensus this way in such a fair and permissionless manner, then that's a really good argument. But there is. But, okay, I get that. I get that. However, like, remember we had Andreas on the show a couple of years back, and he was telling us, like, most of these mining farms are buying the excess energy. They're buying they're buying excess energy like uh, that would have been sold off pennies on the dollar to what they typically sell anyways for in-demand energy. So what's the problem? What's the problem with them buying excess energy? Like I just said, it could be used for better things. That's, that's the, that's the, but main it's not legitimate. It's not. That's the main legitimate. No, it is. Cause like, that's like people vi- like people fight for excess energy in a grid. That's if like it, me if saying, you're doing it on your own. Like say like I have like a mining rig in my backyard and it's run by solar energy or, or like like water turbines or something like that, then sure. If that's not on a sustainable level distributed across the globe, that's awesome. But guess what's not happening at all? Thankfully, yes, Dylan, I do say thankfully that was the right tab that I unmuted. <laughs> it could have been in trouble. I could have been in trouble. No. Um, that's the other. What I'm saying, that's like, like for me is what I'm saying is this. That's like me having a storage unit just one and like somebody comes in or like hey i see you're not using that storage unit can i use it and i'm like yeah sure you know pay me uh, you know and since it's been sitting there a while all, i'm not even going to charge you that much no, I that's not how energy works sorry that's just hold not up. how energy works hold hold i'm not talking about energy i'm talking about like them sell been buying excess energy and so that's then hard. so then the guy's like okay cool you know i'm just gonna put one candle in there because i got nothing i can do with this candle and i'm like oh no you can't use that much space for one candle like that's a foolish reason to use that space that no one else is using and i can't fill up so i'm gonna cause a riffraff about this hey this guy's trying to put one candle in a full storage unit this is some bullshit there's a much better use for the storage unit like that's the argument that they're making here there's a bunch of excess energy that they're just piling up and the guys are like well you know if you're not going to use it i'm going to buy it and i'm going to use it for I'm i got telling you you're wrong well, how am I wrong? Because that's exactly what other people are saying too. So prove me and those yeah, other people. I'm telling you, their arguments are stupid because that, that excess energy has a market onto itself. Right? To who? To, I, I told you, like aluminum smelting is an example of that. There's a lot of things that people do, like the, like the industries do, that vie for the niche of excess energy that could be potentially more beneficial to society than Bitcoin mining. It's, it is a very large topic that has more depth than like it's just energy that goes to waste and dissipates into the thin air that's not what happens wait a second is jesse wearing a wrapper bracelet what's that what's going on there jesse what's a wrapper Mm, bracelet which one is that jewelry i like how jesse never looks at the camera he looks in the other direction yeah i mean you guys are there Uh, actually you're there but (laughs) (laughs) wait a second what when'd you get that chain wait a second jesse did you sell Mm -hmm. the top What'd you get that? Sold, you, what are you talking about? Oh yeah, you've talked uh, about this for uh, weeks. I don't know what you're talking about. What do you that that platinum <laughs> chain you're rocking right there? What's going on? I see it. You baller, Jesse. So we Jesse, what do you think? Drop? What do you think? No, we're gonna talk about the price drop. 
because uh, everybody wants to hear about it. But I, I want to know two things. Jesse, mm-hmm. where'd you get that bracelet from, you baller? Two, what do you think about Elon Musk you after know. you mute yourself? So, uh, so what do I think about the drop? No, that wasn't either of the choices. I'm sorry. I'm a little bit distracted. <laughs> what, what once again, run it back. You literally just woke up. <laughs> run, run it back for me. The first choice is, where did you get that bracelet, you mm-hmm. baller? The second one is, what do you think about Elon Musk? We have to talk about it. It's like you have to. He He's the reason for the drop that we're about to talk to. Yeah. Okay. So one, Mexico. Two. Um, okay. For a guy. Yeah. Echo, uh, Mexico. Mm-hmm. Mexico. Uh, two. What do I think about Elon Musk? I don't know, dude. He, I mean, I think I think I actually looked into people who worked for him, just to kind of see what kind of a person he is in general. And I think you guys are reading too much into it. Like he can, he sees he has the ability to move markets. It's nothing more than that. Oh, I I'm not saying. Oh, no, we're not. He's probably flipping. My, my original like, description yeah. of him, <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's not like sucking the dick at Elon Musk. Uh-huh. It is. It's it, that's a that's a proven record of his ability to output work. Mm-hmm. His involvement with crypto mm-hmm. is more than likely a celebrity move of manipulating markets. Yeah, hundred percent. He's manipulating the market. He knows he can get away with it. It's yeah. not rock science. If I knew I had like a money printer, I would turn it on. Like no, nobody's gonna Especially tell. Like with like the trolling of Doge and 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 Twitter. I mean, he's gotten his hand slapped for doing the same thing with Tesla, right? By the SEC, and now he sees like he can do this unregulated. Like, I mean, it's like a no brainer to the guy. Yeah. In fact, I'd like to meet the person that can have a money printer and not turn it on. That that's tells me somebody. something about him too, though, right? Well, he's it, just, it tells you, it tells you a lot about him and how much he cares about this industry. Yeah, or this, 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 and so, or how much he cares about people. If right? you were to see real care, you'd mm-hmm. see contribution and an integration into the underlying technology. You don't see any of that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What is he doing? He's memeing about Doge. He's saying that we can get it to go faster than Bitcoin. He's like, he like, talked to the core devs. It's like, what, what core devs? Like like the tech like, is is easy to contribute to, mm. and it's easy to see the contributions of the tech. And I don't mm-hmm. see any of that. And so, like. To, to think that there's some grandiose vision of this is going to change the world mm-hmm. by someone who clearly has the ability to change the world based on tech, like, like engineered technology, mm-hmm. we're not seeing that. Yeah, it's a no-go for me. It's going to be a no for me, dog. Mm. So that so the reason is is so he 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 uh, he sent out some nasty tweets to Bitcoin and then said they're no longer accepting Bitcoin for payment for Tesla or tour space tours or whatever, and um, and that caused the price drop from I think we were in the high fifty thousands to the uh, high thirty thousands. I got pulled right, and th- didn't it we drop down off of thirty k? Bounced off, off twenty nine, high twenty nine, low thirty k. Yeah, and there's more. Re- there's more space to go down, right? Yeah, so, really yeah. So everybody's bad. looking in their portfolios right now. Oh, like, that's a lot of red. That's yeah. that's, 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 that's red like that. Long red. Time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just I haven't looked, at, I haven't looked some, at my portfolio in like a couple days. That's so dream, Had some dreams <laughs> fade to black this morning. That's some, that's <laughs> some red. I woke up and looked at my portfolio and said. Mm. 
I got a message this morning from uh, some coworkers and said, "Don't look at your portfolio. You're welcome." Yeah. And that was it. Yeah. That was like all I, I, I got. I need some of your coworkers to have me on speed dial too, because I looked in this morning. I said, "Oh, oh my god!" And then just kept a straight face with everyone for the rest of the day. And that's yeah, like, that's so where what? the real strength is. Yeah, but so what? We've done this yeah. before. It's I know it, it doesn't stink. Look, let's just be real about this. I was thinking I had a pretty it's long drive. Thirty-eight thousand. Ethereum is yeah, still two point five thousand. Like what? I understand that. What yeah, let, me, it can go down let me get real. <laughs> let me get real with anybody who might be watching and real with the audience is going to listen. Is like this. These days hurt bad. These days test your emotions. These, these days, days hurt bad. If you bought at sixty, like or go. whatever it was, right? Yeah. No. These days don't hurt bad at all. If you bought so, at three hundred. Okay. Let me rephrase, <laughs> let me rephrase it. These days hurt bad if you're not shorting. Right. Because uh, some people are shorting and they are going to Vegas tonight. Like they they booked the flight at 8 a.m. this morning and they are in Vegas right now paying for things and doing things that are illegal in most states. Right. But some people aren't shorting. Right. And, you know, some people are trying to build wealth over time in days like this. What will we really weeks like this? It's kind of. They sting. You can't say that it doesn't. No, sting. no I want to say it, it, it's weird because. Like I, this may be a, a, an issue with OPSEC, but like I watch my portfolio move in like in orders of magnitude that I wouldn't have dreamed of earning in a year. Yeah, that's true. Inside of a day. And it it's doesn't affect wild. You, right? It doesn't affect you because you forced the numbness on well, yourself. I under, over no, I understand years. how it works and I have a lot of confidence in where this technology is going and, and, and what I'm doing here. And my skill set is forever going to be useful. So like I'm always, I'm always going to be able to make money, and I don't rely on this money right now to to like pay my bills, right? I've set myself up in a way where like these fluctuations don't have any effect on my short to midterm life. Yeah, but what I, I'm not talking about you personally. I'm talking about well, the, I'm, I, that's advice. Do that, and then you can play in this market as much as you want. <laughs> hashtag absolutely advice, not hashtag not <laughs> advice. Hashtag yeah, take care of your advice. shit, and then invest in this type of stuff. Because like mm-hmm. when this stuff inevitably happens, which it's going to, yep. you're not going to want right, to kill yourself. So then I would say, <laughs> I would say, make investing in this stuff part of taking care of your shit, but do it in a smart way. Right. Know your cash flow. Take percentages. Know that if the percentage of your cash flow that you're investing in this stops going away, that your income coming in is still just more than enough to get you set for life. Right. You got to do it in a smart way. Uh, but this isn't that kind of show. We don't do financial advice. Uh, so I'll give you my I'll do that all day. Yeah, it's fucking sound like Yoda and the Slack and shit. Just yeah. whatever. Negrodomus, get the fuck out of here. Make plans. Yeah. <laughs> make plans. And if it doesn't just quite work out, life happens, right? Am I right? <laughs> That's right. So, Negrodomus, you can put me back up there or Mr. Mooney back up there. This whole energy crunch thing, um, I have said for years that I think it's actually going to spark innovation for renewables because I just don't understand how it's so hard to see that I could turn sun juice into money. Like literally, I just feel like why not try to make that something we should make efficient. Like, Hey son, why don't you just rain some money out of the sky? Like, why not? Why the fuck not? Why aren't, why here's the, not? Here's the issue with that. Um, as it currently stands today, right. Um, in order to have an operation, 
that contributes effectively. Great board game. Is profitable. Great board game, by the way. What operation? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, nice, Joshua. Well played, sir. And anyway, so like in order for like this, like, so like I like the idea of what you just said, where I live at my house, I've got some renewable energy going on at my house. Um, like some like solar or some, or some, it's like I got a wind turbine that makes excess energy. And after 2 p.m. on a sunny day, I've charged my batteries for my house that can last for the rest of the night. And the rest of what happens on that thing is pure free energy. What am I going to do with it? I would like if I could contribute to a network like Bitcoin and make money off of it. I'd love that. That'd be awesome. Guess what? Guess what? The capital required to contribute in any meaningful way to a, to a network like Bitcoin is absurd. You need specialized hardware that is very hard to get to and specialized infrastructure to support that hardware. You can't do that in modern day mining. Both yeah. Ethereum and Bitcoin. Maybe, maybe Ethereum. You could maybe, maybe make an argument for GPU-based mining, which is going away, by the way. That's not going to be a thing God in terms of Ethereum in the future, again. right? And so, like, that concept of, like, going back to the original Bitcoin thing of, like, one, one CPU, one vote is dead. So stop pretending like it's a it's a future that we'd like to have at least for not know. like Bitcoin I'm not, and Ethereum. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about mining ops. Like why wouldn't mining ops try to make it efficient? Because you as need possible. you need national level renewable energy sources in order to provide the energy required to do those types of things. And I'm telling you mm-hmm. that the excess energy in those things is a market unto itself that could be better spent in things outside of cryptocurrency. Especially because we have better ways of doing consensus. It's dumb. Hmm. I don't think that's what D is arguing. I think D is just saying that, hey, like, I, uh, so I, I'm out of my depth, which is why I haven't been really contributing uh, in terms of like, I, I don't know how they're pulling uh, electricity. Like I, the last I read, which was years and years ago about mining in China, was that they're in bumfuck nowhere, right? In a small village, there's an abandoned warehouse and there are there's still running electricity going through the warehouse. And so they set up a dam. It was a, it was a dam that got run away from. So basically they turned that defunct dam and subsequent village into a mining operation because there's no other use of that energy. And then I think from what I've been told, some people have basically taken that story and ran with it and saying like Mm -hmm. most of, most of Bitcoin mining operates that way. And I don't want to do that. That's why I'm saying like, I, I know there's probably some Bitcoin operations that are like, uh, what do you call them? Um, uh, the people, the gypsies, you know, they're, they're basically like moving. Like I, I read an article saying that uh, government officials kind of oust them from whatever location that they've set up their miners at. And so they're kind of moving around trying to find free electricity. It'd be really cool if miners would come talk to us, but they yeah neglect to do so. They're not coming on here, bro. Miners don't talk. My whoever is not talking is benefiting the most, the absolute most. And they I they they don't go on shows. Every once in a while you catch a random miner who Alicia, gets bored. Alicia has told us that gypsy is not an appropriate term to use. So is it not? They're Sorry traveling to the gypsies they, out there. Yeah. I, I couldn't say, think of another word. You can't say gypsy anymore? What do you know. what are, what do you what's the appropriate term for gypsy? A traveling band of vagabond. People. A vagabond? Oh, I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, like, 
I've heard the term gypsy a lot. Stop saying Travelers? it. You can't say it. You keep saying it. Can't say it. <laughs> I'm, yeah, but I'm ignorant on this. Like, I don't know what the appropriate term is. But you like, don't get to keep ignorantly saying the thing you're not supposed to say. If yeah. you can't yeah. say it, you can't I'm say it. asking for the right term. Well, Travelers. Transient? Uh, Gypsy's no. a slur. Is it? Yeah, All right, well, I, I won't I, use it anymore. I to apologize. the Romani people. Call them to gypsies. the folks who were formerly yeah. called gypsies. You can't say it, Corey. Stop saying the word. You can't say the word. What is it? Aaron says nomad. My wife says nomad. Yeah, let's that's do right. that. That's not. They're not gathering for food. Can we get Aaron? Aaron, can she come? She comes oh. to the frame. Can she come into the frame? Do you want to come in? And do you want to come? No, she, she can't come, come in the frame. She okay. can't. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, here's the thing. You can't say G Y. You can't spell it. So we're well, gonna okay, call them that. Oh, I've Romani people. Like Something similar to the Romani people. of our community. We'll just call them vagabonds. Can we call them that? I feel like that's even more. I, I think that's a little bit. No, it's not. A, it's not derogatory. It's just a little bit further off, maybe. I don't know. One day I was in Austin and I gave a vagabond a box of cheeses. <laughs> yes, Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we just call them people. Yeah, yeah, Is yeah. That I it? agree like, with oh, you. We're like watching the whole private chats. We have a private chat for those who don't know uh, that uh, like it's like it's almost like the back end studio of the people who help us produce this thing are just like going wild with telling us how bad we're fucking up here. Uh, okay, so kind of so we're not gonna call them that anymore. And let's we're go with what Daniel call, said. Just call them nomadic. Yeah, people. just call nomadic people. Right. So one time I was in Austin and there was a nomadic person and I gave him a box of Cheez-Its and then he flicked me off because he did not want a box of Cheez-Its. He mm-hmm. wanted. Yeah. Sure. Was it just a poor person? Uh, I'm not going to say they didn't have a home. That's a difference, right? Like, they, wait, gypsies aren't homeless. They just travel. Yeah, they're not homeless. You they just, just said travel again. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, Sorry, uh, nomadics, the nomads, the nomads of now. Let's Anyways, get back to crypto. Let's, let's, yeah, let's talk about crypto <laughs> again. So there are some other things to um, kind of talk to you. So there was some FUD. I'm really, I'm just going to call it FUD at this point, uh, which means like. Uh, uh, what do you, what is your, what is your uh, definition of FUD? Like, what is that? What is FUD? Uh, I think it like, is this, is this supposed to mean like FUD? Fear something and uncertainty and doubt. I love it when Corey's like, let me just make sure we're on the same wavelength in terms of definitions. You know what I first thought it was when I first heard about it? What's up? Fucked up delivery. That's what I thought. That's what I thought it was. Good one. Good alternative. I feel like that's a really good way to put what FUD is, right? Like, it's like, I mean, mean, fear, uncertainty, and doubt is like the motivation behind it, but Mm -hmm. like sometimes it's. So motivated yeah. to to cause that, which is a fucked up delivery. Yeah. So for those of you not inundated with crypto or investing, really, FUD is like news that's fake. And the reason why it's fake, um, I don't think is, it has to be fake, right? It's, it's not, hyperbolic, maybe. It's hype. It's hype. Well, kind of fake, right? It's either super fake or a little fake, white lies, whatever that kind of get ex- like uh, exacerbated, and then it introduces exuberant not exuberance but introduces a lot of fear or greed into the market right um now it's funny that when it's not greed when it's not greed right so like when it, when the price is going up on fake news nobody cares you know they're just like oh this is crazy what like google's gonna accept bitcoin tomorrow been into all the bsa yeah. coins yeah. <laughs> it's crazy obama got a bitcoin tattoo on his chest oh this is great for bitcoin the price is going up but like if the price is going down it's fake news you know the the crypto people will like hone in on like this is fake 
this is fake and let me tell you why here's 17 articles that outline the fakeness of this one article but china bans bitcoin once per bull cycle um and they ban it in different ways i think most time right yeah, they banned more than just Bitcoin this time. So then now it's like, you know, China banned, you know, one year, they'll, one cycle, they'll ban Bitcoin from like Airbnbs. And then the next cycle, they'll ban Bitcoin uh, from 7-Elevens. But every bull cycle, China bans Bitcoin or crypto somewhere. And the entire Twitter sphere, crypto sphere just loses its mind. It's like, oh, China banned Bitcoin again. And then... Um, you know, then a couple of days go by and nothing really changes. And everybody's like, so what happened again? And I like know Chinese, like it happens in our Slack every time. If you pay attention, somebody goes, I actually know Chinese people and they're buying Bitcoin right now as we speak. And I'm like, well, I don't understand what the ban is for then. So maybe it's just another way to manipulate a market. So then China can gobble more Bitcoin. Uh, because if it's anything like gold was in the 20th century, um, maybe there might be a, a race for it one day. Who knows? Uh, but China, uh, China, China bans <laughs> Bitcoin and cryptocurrency once a bull cycle. Uh, hmm. No, I like I have to ask. <laughs> 20 2019 and 2020 through society for a loop you, you can't you, like i mean you gotta go through it every day saying was that racist or sexist or did i offend someone i have no clue anymore i'm just like if i were live. to make fun of a black dude and his voice yeah <laughs> yeah is that racist uh yes yes it could be is it? Yeah, it yeah, it could be. It depends, right? It, it all depends on how you goes, do it. Yes, Robert caps. Downey Is it Jr. Because I'm white? No, because Robert Downey Jr. literally did it in a movie. He's the only <laughs> human alive that got away with blackface. Yeah, and, but and we'll continue to get away. It's like he just so like the. I'll tell it like this. Since uh, I know you're not a betting man, but you're an investing man, the odds of you getting that ass beat are higher. <laughs> Are higher than Robert Jr. <laughs> so just don't. 100%. Just, 100%. Just, I'm not doing just, it. Just don't. Um, <laughs> anyways, let's talk about more crypto things. So, uh, an article came out most recently that said that Americans, um, and that is the United States of Americans, not all of America from north to south, but just the United States, are really into um, uh, Ethereum now. Like, they're, we're over. <laughs> We're over Bitcoin. Bitcoin was last decade. This is this what this your grandparents use. Yes, this is Ethereum's decade now, um, which they don't even know if Ethereum doesn't work as advertised. So mm. it's all fun. <laughs> they're they're going to have a hard, they they're they're hard time when they hit them yeah. fees. Yeah. I'm like, what do you mean it cost me $75 to log in? Like, hey, <laughs> I don't make the, the rules. World. The Ethereum blockchain. The Ethereum blockchain makes the rules, baby. <laughs> um, no, it's, what, what I like about this, so like as it, as it stands today, right? Like if you just happen to, to try and do something on the Ethereum network on the wrong time, and most people are going to do this, right? Yeah. I'm going to go to gasnow.org, which is my favorite place to understand what the current gas prices are. No sponsorship there. It's just a really good website. Oh shit! Gas prices are currently at six fifty quay. So it cost me. It cost me thirty dollars to send F, which is the cheapest thing you can do. So 
So here's the irony in all this is like in 2017, when there was the bull cycle in Bitcoin, I think the highest it cost to send the transaction from A to B was like $55. Um, it was bananas, right? And everybody's like, oh, I thought it was supposed to be free. And then Bitcoin is like, oh, yeah. Like, oh, no. Know, Scarce resource, bro. You know, it's not all the way free. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's pretty much was the argument. And so now Ethereum, at the time, Ethereum was boasting like, oh, see, over here in, in Ethereum land, it's free. All of your... No, that's so, not whatever. That, that's, that's not, not what, what happened. Okay. That, that isn't exactly how it happened. You're right. But they were boasting... I would love boasting, to break this down for you. They were boasting that the gas fees were lower than Bitcoin. So even Ethereum worked better at sending money than Bitcoin did. That was the argument. I, I remember that argument. And now we fast forward the clock four years and Ethereum is having a lot of trouble doing that basic smart contract of sending money from me to you guys. It's not a smart contract. Right? That's just built in functionality. That's not a smart contract. Okay, so that's. Built, I thought everything was functionality. Uh, it's a transaction of hmm. sending money, sending ether. Okay. It's not a smart contract. That's just built in. So, like, also, like, what I was trying to get to before you so rudely interrupted me was that what? depending on what time you do, you, you, you log in and try and make a transaction on Ethereum, drastically dictates the price. Uh, yesterday, <laughs> at the same time as today, it would have cost you. Like one eighth of the price. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, right now, it's it's it's, it's way more expensive. Uh, earlier today, around nine a.m. Eastern time, it was almost three times the price as it is today. Almost cost yeah. you a hundred dollars to send ether to somebody. Yeah. So this now, is the way. Oh, go ahead. Now, go ahead. Let me let me let me like let me tell you why. What's going on here, right? And. This is this is going to be the subject of any blockchain when it gets to a point where it's reached capacity. And as it currently stands, blockchain technology doesn't scale very well in terms of capacity. And so like when Bitcoin happened, like when we like early early days in Bitcoin, it was basically free. And the economics were set up so that like you could have free transactions. It didn't really matter because the block rewards compensated the, the, the miners for securing and validating the network. That's what paid out the people for performing the security of the network. Uh, and, they, and they understood that over time, as that inflation rate, the block rewards went down over time, that you'd need to find a way to compensate the miners to continue to secure and validate the network. And they said, well, transaction fees eventually will start to take over that. And there's two different ways in which that can happen. You can have a tremendous amount of transactions for small fees, which compensate the miners on the same, around the same level. Or you have lower number of transactions with very large fees. And so how you do that is a technical problem in terms of what the computers can do in terms of passing around the blocks and, and actually doing consensus on those transactions in the time frame it takes to do that. In Bitcoin, this is this is the subject of the block size debate in Bitcoin for years. Is can we just make the block size bigger so that transactions stay smaller? We have a bunch more transactions and miners can still get paid with transaction fees, but we can, we can still have very cheap transactions for individuals. Or 
do we make them small so they're easy to pass around the network and the network stays more efficient, meaning that those who are participating in validation, the miners, don't need ridiculous hardware to do so. That was the argument, right? Mm-hmm. And then Ethereum came along. And Ethereum said, yeah, that sounds cool. We're going to do something similar, but we're also going to add, I don't know, 40,000 different types of transactions you can make. And we're going to drastically expand the use cases of what you're doing this for. Because back in Bitcoin, it was like, I'm sending you money. We're done. That's it. You had color coins. You had various things, but they were all kind of derivative and they didn't, mm-hmm. they weren't useful. Bitcoin is for sending money, period. We talked about Ethereum. We talked about all kinds of various things. And so we, we drastically expanded the types of things you can do with, 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 with blockchain. While not really innovating with the number of transactions we can fit into the blockchain per given unit time. And so we move from seven transactions per second to maybe 14 transactions per second or so on Ethereum. But we, but we change the things you can do by orders of magnitude. And so in the early days of Ethereum, when no one was using it much, people were trying to figure out what smart contracts can do. It was like, it was cheap. It was fast. It was easy. And it was like, oh, look, I can do all the things Bitcoin can do, but it's cheaper and faster. Mm-hmm. And then I can do this other stuff. That's also cheaper and faster. I'm going to make a business out of this. And then that worked. And then industrial investors started coming in and DeFi took off. And we got to the point where like, oh, shit, everyone wants to try and funnel all their transactions into this thing that can't handle that transaction volume. Well, we filled the bucket up, right? So what happens if you're trying mm-hmm. to fight for like scarce space? In, 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 a, in a blockchain ledger, prices Whoa. go up. Yeah, prices go up. Prices go up hard. And we're not even going to get into like maximal attractable value and flashbots and all the games people are playing in terms of like the types of things miners can do in order of like ordering things. Like, all, we're not going to get into that nonsense. We're just looking at like more people trying to fit transactions into the same amount of space yeah. over time. Prices yeah. go up hard. I'd like to real quick start give a shout out to Dr. D from the Slack. Not me, a different D, actual Dr. D in the Slack. He's been showing me these articles and this really interesting evidence to show that it is possible to game the miners of Ethereum and your flash loans in order to get them to order um, transactions in certain ways. Because the order of transaction actually has a lot to do with the resolution of the flash loan. I'm going to be doing an entire MEV panel on on hashing it out here in the next coming weeks. It's going to be diving into the concept of how do you incentivize miners to order transactions in a certain way so that they profit and you profit from them profiting. What's an MEV to the five people watching live, four people watching uh, live? Maximally, like, well, maximal extractable value. It used to be called uh, minor extractable value. Basically, like the types of choices that miners can make in order to make the most money out of the block they produce. Yeah. But it, they, they changed the term into like maximal extractable value. So like, basically, like what's, what's the maximal amount of value that I can extract by changing the order of the transactions in which they put a note block? Yeah. I, I liken miners to like virtual surfers. They're just riding waves of data and the best, oh, the man. ones that catch well, like the best waves. When you have waves. the power to like dictate how transactions fit together, 
then and, and when you deal with things like um, decentralized exchanges yeah. and automated markets, then they become the most powerful mm. people, assuming that they, like, are. they have free will in terms of how the stuff they works, are, right? They are the whales. Yeah. So um, like, there's, a, there's an entire network of software that runs in terms of fighting for how those, those, those transactions get put in the right place, which is, so, a, which is a whole different conversation. I hate to cut you because we got to give a preview of the interview if we have it, but um, uh, we're going to talk about a few things when we come back from that preview. One of the funny things is I want to talk about Warren Buffett again, just real shortly, and then we'll talk about um, some other stuff. But do we have a clip of the interview? Did we? Did we? Did we do that this time? Alicia is not at her desk. Oh no! Backstage and Leisha is. I'm looking backstage too, and she's not. Oh, she's back. She is. And Alicia, we got it. We have a a clip for the interview. We're ready to transition. This is all the way live. It's super live. I guess I. And hello, everyone. Welcome back to another one of the Bitcoin podcast interviews, uh, and the best time of your week. Uh, today, we're joined uh, by Mr. Jay Rush, the CEO of True Blocks. And, and True Blocks, um, I'm sure I'm going to give you more than a platform to speak to on your own, but it's a, it's a company that's trying to make it easier to, to gather data out of the Ethereum blockchain, right? So, you know, we'll start like we always start. Jay, um, you know, what's your background? How did you fall into crypto? Like, you know, tell us a little bit. Tell us a story. Who is Jay? Well, I'm um, I'm an older member of the uh, crypto community, probably one of the older ones. Um, been around in computers since prior to Microsoft. Oh, wow. Um, writing software since early 1980s. So I was... Uh, very, very interested in the early internet when it first came out. Um, uh, the, I used the internet prior to the World Wide Web, so I was very interested in the World Wide Web because it let people share information in a way that we never could before, and everyone was so excited by this capability. And, you know, for seven or eight years I did that, and it kind of didn't turn into that. It didn't turn into exactly what we thought we were building. So then I went and became a poet because I wanted to be a poet my whole life. And I went and did that from like 2005 until about 2013 or 14. I was teaching English and teaching poetry. And well, probably about 2013, I heard about Bitcoin. I got really, really interested in Bitcoin because they were talking about the same sorts of things that we had been talking about 20 years earlier with the Internet, about how we're going to be able to share information and better educate each other and better communicate with each other through this undeniable source of information. And uh, But I didn't really bite on Bitcoin until... 2016, late in or t- late in 2015, I heard about Ethereum, and then I just bit, and I've been have my teeth in it ever since. So I just fell in love with the idea that we can um, do basically what we thought we could do back in 1994 with the with the World Wide Web. 
which is make the world a better place, basically. So. Mm. I hope that blockchain doesn't go the same path the World Wide Web has gone. I'm extremely concerned that it will. Actually. That's probably what this <laughs> we, whole conversation is going to be. We, we can get into it. I'm sure that's where this is going to go because that's what I think about all the time. Oh, man. Um, before we go into that, one, how do you go from like one? So one, like, where's your poetry? Where can we find it? I, I got to know. And have you put it NFT? in any blockchain? Make it into NFTs? Yeah. <laughs> that's the, that's the yeah. obvious thing to do. <laughs> yeah. so just make it directly into an NFT, right? <laughs> well, um, I, I discovered after about five years that um, poetry is not terribly lucrative. So mm. there's, not, there's not a lot of poetry out there. there. There's some websites you might, if you search for Thomas J. Rush, you might find some poetry out there if you wanted to look. Um, so I really, really enjoyed that. Um, Jesse's on it. Look at him. No, no, not. I really, really, I really, really, I'm the kind of person that kind of falls down a rabbit hole and I just kind of let myself fall and I go without reservation into the, whatever it is that I'm interested in. And, uh, I just, that happened to me. I just got captured and I just went. So, uh, but it's not really something that you can make a living, not even, I mean, I don't think there's six poets in the history of the world that ever made a living off of poetry. So mm-hmm. Jay Z, uh, Nas, LL Cool J. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll change it. Uh, there's not an un, a, a medium talent poet that made that's made. <laughs> so for no, some additional uh, backstory, um, I call him TJ because that's what. So like we met um, through the internets. I've, I've, I've known TJ for quite a while now. Uh, we met through the internets in the, in the DAO Slack when the DAO was happening on uh, Ethereum. And we were in the, what was the name of that channel we were in? Like yeah. data people or something? Yeah, like, probably. It's basically like the, an analysis channel right. of all of the, like looking in, looking at what the data was showing on the blockchain and trying to understand as much as we could around like the technical part of the DAO. And then the hack happened and that entire group basically turned into like a bunch of white hat hackers and bloggers of what's going on, yeah. like who, who this person is, what information can we find? And then I, I don't know anyone in that group that hasn't gone off to like continue doing a similar vein of, of things in the yeah. Ethereum ecosystem. Because yeah. it was so, it was so unbelievably intense when uh, the DAO, like prior to the DAO coming out and, and as the DAO was first uh, for sale, um, because everyone believed that we were building something that was unique in the world that had never existed before, you know, back then, you know, we were experimenting with something that was brand new. Um, you know, 40,000 people in a smart contract that you couldn't change the software. You couldn't, there was no upgrade path to the software. And about two or three weeks or maybe five weeks before it was released, um, there was not even any curator or owner of this piece of software. There was nobody that had special privilege. Every single person that had a token had exactly the same privilege in in the contract. There was some curators. There's a list of curators. But that came late. 
that came yeah. really late in the process, almost like a couple of weeks before it was deployed. So, you know, the, when I first heard of the DAO, it was uncontrollable software. It was software that could not be, uh, you know, there was no back door for any people to change the way it operated. And that was on purpose because we wanted to build that piece of software and only have it operate by everyone who had tokens combined. And then I think people got a little frightened and they put in that curator stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but prior to the curator, that idea of building a piece of software that was immutable, could not change, and had 40,000 owners was just stunning. It was so stunning. I'm still here seven years later trying to do exactly that same thing. Like, like why did we not build that? What, what failed there? That's kind of what I'm trying to figure out. Did you have F Slurp uh, at that yeah, time? I did. Well, that's yeah. Why don't we start by like, let me go on that path a little bit to sure. tell the audience and and us uh, what you started building and what it's become today. Sure. So, um, you know, I had been a poet for about seven years, so I kind of was just coming back into the space. So I didn't really uh, have the benefit of knowing uh, current technology. So I wrote this piece of code that. You know, one of the things that people were thinking back then was, uh, and people said this all the time, was um, that every single person had equal access to the data that was being produced. So everyone could see everything. It was purely transparent, right? But then you get into it and you start trying to look at this data and it's just the least transparent data that I've ever seen. So you could go, you could go to Etherscan to get data, but that just didn't make any sense to me because we were trying to build this decentralized piece of software where another thing that happened back then is everybody ran their own node on their own machine because that's how the decentralized network was supposed to work. You were supposed to be running your own node. And if you're running your own node, you should be able to get the data directly from the node. And that was always what I thought we were building. But then when you start trying to get that data from the node, it was just meager and it was nearly impossible to get it, especially for this really large active contract. So uh, I built a piece of software that tried to extract the transactional data from the DAO. And the only way I could make it work was to use Etherscan. So this was just an API, just reading an API from Etherscan. And, uh, it never made sense to me ever. It just didn't make sense. I call that ether slurp and uh, people used it a little bit to get some data off the chain. But then, you know, I always just felt that was wrong. So then I've been working ever since like December of 2016 on writing code that lets me get the data directly from the chain, the way that I think it should be gotten. I don't think we should have to go to Etherscan to get the, the data. So um, that leads into what I built, which is called TrueBlocks. So EtherSlurp was basically the best I could do at the time, and it was a third-party API reader, basically. Yeah, you, I think you built the, the C version of what I built uh, in Python. Very likely, very likely. Yeah, you, you even got, I was, in fact, I was jealous of you because you got your thing up on Etherscan as a, an official <laughs> Etherscan. It's still thing. there. 
It's still there. I just looked at it the other it's day. It's still there. It is still. I um, what I won, uh, Corey. I don't even know what this accomplishment is, and I'm sad and you never told it to me. Two. So you, uh, here, I'll I'll share my screen. Um, give me. A I want to. While you set that up, I have to know. Um, and I'm calling you TJ via proxy through perfect, perfect. perfect. I have to know, TJ, why such conviction that people shouldn't have to go to Etherscan and get their data and people should be able to read it from the blockchain? Because um, I believe that if there's um, someone between the user and the data, that that someone will eventually become someone who invades privacy. I just think that's it, it. It just seems likely to me that that's where. Yeah. And this is literally exactly what happened with the early internet. It's exactly the same thing because I can't get to the data other than going through someone else. So, so what that means is because Etherscan is a web server, it's a shared resource. And what has to happen is I have to tell them who I am in order to get there. Now, I may not tell them directly who I am, but they know who I am. As soon as they know who I am, they connect me to my address. And now my privacy is going to be invaded. And eventually they're going to figure out how valuable that information is. And now I'm in the same position as I am today with Google. And, and I yeah. actually think it's a much worse position because the data is so much more intimate the data of my spending is extremely intimate data. It's revealing data. So, so I think it's really important that we build a system that doesn't fall prey to this kind of snooping mentality. And I'm not casting aspersions against Etherscan. They're great. I love Etherscan. I use it all the time. It's just in the end, it, it will eventually go there because it's so valuable. Mm. it's very true and it's but we're talking about something kind of deep here because well hold on before i go into that Corey, what are we looking at right here this is what the lowdown he said that's it right there um i built the python version of ether slurp um a long time ago in order to do a lot of my like um token analysis distribution pieces that i wrote uh on medium and somehow or another like Etherscan put it on their website and I don't know why I think I just mentioned it and Michael Tan just said yeah I got you and then just put it on the website yeah I looked at this I think uh, I built a, a C++ probably just ping him on Twitter thing. and he'll do the same thing like, <laughs> yeah, I think I built a C++ version of your thing but uh, there was another guy that built this thing called the, his name was Lyrical Polymath Right. Mm. And um, it seems, he, that seems ostentatious. He had written this piece of Python code. And in the comment of the piece of Python code, he was actually reading directly from the node. He was reading his data directly from the node. So I was very interested in that. And the comment said, We scraped four weeks of data from the DAO, and it only took 72 hours. Right. And that's why I built. That's why I built what I built, basically, because if if you wanted data directly from the node, it literally took seventy hours for three weeks worth of data. It's well, 
I find it interesting and and also kind of valiant that you're trying to give the user power, right? And them to hold on to their data. But you were talking about a lot of human behaviors that even go past the history of the internet that are like almost insurmountable to change, right? So, I it, I think all you do is you. I like I like that answer. I like it. That I'm, a, I'm a poet. I'm a, I, I, I thought it was a good idea to become a poet. What the fuck? What the hell do you? Do? <laughs> I like I like I like it. I love the energy, but like even now, I find myself. It's a good fuck. I find myself becoming a middleman to almost every a middleman to everyone I've educated on crypto. There's very few people I've educated and they're just like off to the races. Most of them are like, Hey man, you know, are you busy? It's Saturday on a 3 PM. I'm clearly busy. Like I'm a grown adult. I'm clearly busy, but like, what's up, man? How could I help you out? Like, Hey, you know, that, uh, seed phrase thing. How important was that? Oh, okay. It's going to be a long conversation. All right, so like, like it's it's almost well, like know, I, I have a I have a sort of a ridiculous response to that, but um, before you know, almost all the people in the world can read now. But at some point, you know, there was a guy that could read, and then he taught the rest of the people to read. So that's all we're doing here is trying to educate people, make them understand better that they can't just. It, they can't live in a world where they're just going to be taken advantage of because um, I think if we don't change, if we don't build a better system, it only gets worse and it doesn't get better. We have to purposefully build a better system. I, I think. agree with that. Like, that's a big part of, I mean, if you look back at what the internet, like how the internet happened, it slowly but surely centralized into like, that was somewhat of like an infrastructure play, right? Like it was efficient to get yeah, things exactly. done quickly, That's to right. architect the infrastructure in such a way that it, it got it, it got it got architected, and the internet was built, and we ended up with what we have today. Blockchain said we don't like that anymore. We're going to make something new, and in the process, it's it 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 makes incredible behavioral changes on people, and because mm-hmm. they don't like that, then in order to like kind of bootstrap adoption or take steps in like to get people to take the tiny steps in the right direction, as opposed to like massive swings of behavioral change, we've made centralized services on top of decentralized services like Infura, right. Or Etherscan. And that's, that allows people, but what, but it it got too comfortable in a lot of ways. And so without, in my opinion, without people like TJ trying to make the same services, but in the ideals of like, you own everything, like giving someone the option to opt out in the, in the, in the event that they want to and pushing those in the direction of like becoming easier and better, then we're just going to end up in the exact same spot over and over and over again. And like, you have to have people that are willing to say like, yeah, it's uncomfortable, but it has to be built and it's not going to get better until someone goes through the uncomfort of doing it. And and uh, a couple things there. Um, it's ridiculously uncomfortable. It's it's terribly uncomfortable. It sucks. You know, trying to build this thing on a uh, on a desk. My, my goal has always been to get the same amount of information as EtherScan on a desktop. That's my goal. Um, and it's brutal. It's really brutal. Um, and then the other thing that happens, I think, is that because we don't really solve the problem and we just sort of you know push off the problem until later 
we, we build on top of that solution that's not the right solution. And it gets increasingly more difficult to, to go backwards and fix it again. And then you, you just sort of never go back until you have a, a revolution. But I see what happened with the, bit, the blockchain as a revolution. So, uh, so I, and I kind of purposefully did this. As I said, I'm, I'm a little bit older. So I kind of, you know, I'm happy to be way out there on this crusade almost. Um, you know, if it doesn't work out, I'm, I'm fine. You know, I'll just go for a hike or something. But, you know. <laughs> I think it's worth it. I mean, I, I, I personally like this because, I mean, it's one of those situations where, like, I don't know, maybe it's because I'm a tinker, right? Like, I don't ever... I like having things exactly the way I want them. And that means that I don't like being relegated to someone else's solution. And right. so when I see methods for getting the data that I want exactly the way I want it, I really, really enjoy it. And when I compare that with not having to rely on third parties to get it, then I, like I, I it's like, you know, I'm through the roof about it. Yeah. And that's what this is. Right. So like right. what's, what's, what's incredibly lacking in this ecosystem uh, as it stands today, I, I, forever and, and still today, is like personal accounting software, small business services, like, like some QuickBooks for crypto. How do I figure out um, the difference, the, like the difference of value that I have today versus when I when I build it? If I'm running a business and I accept crypto, how do I perform taxes on these types of things? How do I keep track of the money? How do I all these different things, right? If I want to build that software or like I want to use that software, there's two ways that that can happen. Someone does it and I pay them for it and they get all of my data. Or I use the blockchain and, and, and have software that pulls it, pulls the information I want and aggregates it the way I want and gives it to me. That doesn't rely on someone else solving all the problems for me. And I prefer the latter. And what we're seeing is the majority of people are building the former. They're building something like, hey, it's really complicated to pull information off the blockchain. Let us solve that for you so we can have all your data and profit yeah. off of that, which That's is the right. same shit the internet was doing. As opposed to like, hey, here's software that allows you to pull whatever information you want from the blockchain exactly how you want it in a relatively easy way. And now we can build software on top of that. That makes it even easier and still privacy preserving. So allows people to do whatever they want in whatever context they want without having to like expose themselves to people they don't want to expose themselves to. And, you know, it's really weird. It's really weird. I said it was brutal, but it's also kind of weird to be working on a desktop computer because I have to make all kinds of um, unusual choices when I build this software. So, um, um, as an example, like a web server, like, like Etherscan, if it gets, um, if it gets 10 new, you know, let's say it has 10 users. If it gets 10 more users, the, uh, pressure on its infrastructure just doubled, right? Um, on a desktop, if I get 10 new users on a desktop, there's no change whatsoever to my software because I'm running on one desktop for one user. So the, the, um, the relationship of the software with the user is completely different on a desktop than it is on a, on a web server. So in a web server situation, 
the more users you get, the more resources you have to spend. So you're incentivized to lower the number of resources per user. Whereas for a desktop, I'm just like giving the entire computer to a single user. So I get actually a much more snappy, much more interactive, much more uh, quick piece of software. I have to give up all kinds of stuff. Like I can't look at 10 million records in a tenth of a second or something like that. But um, I can look at the data uh, for a particular user as deeply as that user wants to look and give him way more data than a website's going to be able to give that same user because I don't have to share the computer with somebody, with anybody. Now you can scale a website out, but it costs money to scale a website out every time you scale it out. So the, the whole, it's a, it's a very different piece of software, a desktop piece of software. And that, and that's what I'm building. And I, and that's what I'm focused on. And this kind of surprised me as I was building it because I, after I got it to kind of start working, I kind of looked at it and I'm like, this is really different than a website. It's not a website. Um, it feels a lot more like it's a spreadsheet. It's almost a lot more like traditional a software. You would get in old computers before the internet. That's right. It's like, it a, it's almost way, like a spreadsheet it's still fed by the internet. Yeah. It's, it, it, it's fed by the node. It's fed by the node software. So it's almost like a spreadsheet because I can scroll through 3,000 records uh, instantaneously, which I can't really do on a website. I'm loading pages every time I want to go page, page, Mm -hmm. page, page. And they have to do that because they're delivering thousands of pages a second to thousands of users, right? They can't give me every page all at once. Whereas on a desktop, I'm giving all the data to the user in memory, and I can just scan straight through it. And then there's this other there's this other really interesting thing that happens because it's not JRush going to Uniswap or JRush going to ENS or JRush going to um, you know some other piece of uh, Web three software. It's actually JRush going to a single piece of software that's getting all of the data that JRush used. So as I'm scrolling through the data. I'm bumping into transactions from Giveth, transactions from Gitcoin, transactions from ENS, right after each other. So I can see my, I don't have to go to separate websites to see all this different activity. I can see everything I've done right in front of me. Mm-hmm. So I get a very personal view of my own data and it's perfectly private because it's on my desktop and I'm not sharing it with anybody. Something so that I think we're missing here. Um, some context, I think that's... <sighs> lacking is is look, what the, the model you've gone for is an account-based model so you're you're you're, you're and, and the way that the blockchain stores things but if we're just, just say we're sticking to ethereum for now right the, the way that the ethereum nodes work today is not set up to um answer queries or like say if like i want i want to know everything there's to know about this account right throughout its entire history the way that the data is stored on your computer if you run a node is not set up to answer that question very well. And so what TJ's had to do is create software that pulls that information and then creates a database for you that answers it really quickly. Or like understands like, oh, if you ask that question, this is exactly where I need to go and how I need to ask it the most efficient way for how it's stored on your computer. And that's a really hard problem to do because 
the way the node set software is set up for is a very different, it's optimized for something very differently. That's right. And because of that, it's really hard to get account-based information for an individual user or an individual smart contract throughout the history of, of, of its entire existence. And the, and the older it is, the more difficult it is to get that information quickly. And so like what I think what, what you've done here needs to be emphasized is that not only have you created a way to get that information quickly for yourself in a privacy preserving way, but you've also started coming up with ways in which you can share that information well for other people who'd like to do that so that they can get that information quickly without having to like go through all the process that you're currently going through. So that way, like in the eventuality that this software gets used and, and, and like it's pervasive, people want this information, like it's snappy for everyone and the resources required to get it doesn't mean you need three terabytes of like expensive storage in order to get it. Um, yeah, that's a deep subject. So um, I, I tell people what I think happened is that the people who wrote the node software, um, am I am I doing okay, um, uh, D? Am I like... Um, no, you're good to go, man. Just let it rip. Am I filling the, filling the space? <laughs> you're good to go. I'm enjoying... I'm listening. Give me some of, the, give me some of these once in a while. Oh, it's got snaps. I think what happened... I think what happened is um, the people who, who built the Node software, they had a mission, which was to synchronize with the chain. They, they, that's what that, that's what the node software has to do. It has to synchronize. It has to um, get all the transactions and share the transaction, right? Um, it does a second thing, which is deliver the data through the RPC. But I think that they completely, almost completely ignored that part of the task of the node. And I think that the, the RPC is really inadequate. Um, what the RPC does, it kind of forces people to extract the entire chain because it's so, it's kind of so poorly done that you have to extract the entire chain because you can't really get what you want from the RPC, which I think Sorry, in most Peter. cases, huh? Sorry, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> Is that I think the dev of. Oh no! I th you know what I'm saying. I'm kind of. They're all. I'm just. They're joking. all perfect. It's everybody's amazing in the whole world. But they focus on some different things. So, um, so um, you can't really say, "Give me the entire history of an account on to the node." You can't say that because it it literally takes thirty days to to return the answer, because you have to go back and replay every transaction because you have to look at every transaction to get the full details uh, because of internal transactions. Are you familiar with that? Probably. Get so, uh, yeah. No, I want to be. Okay. So like when it's, well, uh, a very simple example is a smart contract is called by a, a regular user and it initiates another call to another smart contract, which initiates another call to 200 other smart contracts, which mm. initiates 2,500 other smart contracts. So you get, this whole big call tree. And at the very bottom, you get, you know, the account that you're interested in gets, gets a token or something. So, and you can't find that until you go down all the way to the bottom of the tree and, and find mm -hmm. that token transfer. Um, 
Uh, I see. So everything between the top and the bottom is an internal transaction. Yeah, the moment you start trying to take into account the the types of things that are happening when contracts are calling contracts. Yeah. Because right now, like if you if you do something on Ethereum, so anything that happens on Ethereum comes from a user. Like a user has to submit a transaction to the network that calls a function in some smart contract or a transfer. Uh, like you can transfer ETH or call a smart contract, some function or smart contract. And that has to be done by a human. Well, Sentinels, if you bring in Open Zeppelin and things like that, right? Uh, but right. once that happens, a smart contract can then call a bunch of other smart contracts in existence to, to like trigger a bunch of events. And so if you're just looking through Etherscan, you're going to miss a tremendous amount of information that happens when contracts call other contracts. Mm-hmm. And and, and um, you may not know this, but doing token accounting or just plain accounting on Ethereum frequently arrives with a mismatch between what you think you have and what you should, you know, what, what the chain is or what the data is telling you you have. And that's because I think we don't dig deep enough into the data to find those way down at the bottom of that call chain. Somebody transferred some, some ether or some gas or something got transferred. So... If you want to do 18 decimal place accurate accounting, which is what I want to do, because that's what we built. We built an 18 decimal place accurate system. Why can't we account for it? You know, you have to go all the way down to the bottom and the data is not organized that way on the node. So in order to find that for a single address, you have to scan the entire chain or you have to extract the entire database. But if you extract the entire database, you're going to get literally 20 terabytes or 15 or 20 terabytes of data. And now you can't do that on a desktop. So now you have a problem. So tell me the secret sauce. How do you do this? Yeah, yeah. So this is exactly what what I tried to do, right? This is exactly what I tried to solve, okay? And I think it comes down to the fact that there's no index. There's, There's literally no index of addresses in the chain. So I do this, I call it a scrape, and I scrape down through to the bottom of every single one of these 12 million blocks, you know, 10 billion transactions, however many transactions there are. And every one of those calls into the calls, into the calls, into the smart contracts, all the way down to the bottom, and I extract addresses, and I record where the address appeared. I call them address appearances. So I build an index of address appearances. That's what I built. And um, 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 then I have an index. And now I can say, where should I look for the transactions for my address? And, And now the node kind of becomes a fairly good database. It's not great. It's still a little slow. Um, But it's significantly better than scanning the entire history for a given address, because now I kind of can just say, takes about 20 seconds to read the index and say, you know, here's a list of every appearance of this address. And now I can go and query directly for things like transactions and traces and logs for that address. And I can build an accounting database that balances finally. Hmm. Mm. But the other thing that the other thing that Truebox does that uh, Corey, your stuff didn't do is it caches the data once it pulls the data. So 
I said the node is like an okay database, but it's oh, not great. Let's not pretend that what I did is even close. No, to I know. I'm just kidding. I was just kidding, but, <laughs> okay. just kidding. Um, but we also cache the data so that um, for faster uh, lookup. It's time. way, it's literally it's, hundreds of times. Once, you, once you pull the, like, it's like, here's like, here's the process that I see. Cause I, I've, I've installed TrueBits. I've gone through a process. There's going to be some hashing it out videos of like me and Jay going through the process of installing it and playing around with it or at least later on. But like, um, the way I see it is like, I have a, I have a, I have a full node. I have an archive node that runs. Um, you can, if you get access to one, it's, it's, it's just as easy. Uh, and I started up true blocks and I said, here's my account. And it said, all right, well, like, let me build a database. Let me build this index that TJ just talked about. What's the index of addresses? And so now once I have that index of addresses, I can go, all right, true blocks, give me everything about this address. And, it, and, it, and what it does is it says, all right, I know where to look now. And because it knows where to look, it pulls like way quicker from the blockchain as opposed to trolling through like block zero to block now. Uh, where all of these things could possibly be. It says like, it's in block this, 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 and this, I'll pull right. these transactions. And then once I have all these transactions, I have all the information I could ever want. And it, it, right. it and then transforms it into the form that I want. Now I have at probably the fastest way possible, all the information that I could ever want about a given account and all the accounts it's interacted with. That's right. And, and so now I can basically do whatever I want with that information. I can transform it, display it, pivot it, whatever. How long does it take to build the index for like all the accounts? Right. Um, I said earlier, it takes 30 days to, to scan the, the, uh, the history. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's a bit of a misstatement. It probably, I, I think we were doing it very inefficiently when I, when I got that piece of data, because um, it takes about three days to start from zero and build the entire index. Um, we used to do it per transaction. Now we do it per block. There's like a trace routine per block that we can use. Mm. I think we weren't using it before, but uh, so it takes about three days to build the index. Um, once it's caught up to the front of the chain, it kind of easily stays up with the front of the chain because there's only one block every 14 seconds. And we process that like instantaneously, really. But um, so it takes a, a couple of days to build. Um, initially um and then it just stays up you have to run a piece of software continually to scrape but it stays up um, is it wouldn't that mean there's like an ever-growing memory need for the, the software right if it's continuously pool i mean just like all block i mean there's ever-growing resource needs well we're on a desktop so we're really constrained so mm -hmm. Um, I was mentioning earlier that you can do things on a desktop that you wouldn't do on a website. For example, you would never store data in a file and read the file. But believe it or not, we have a single user. So uh, on a website, if you were storing data and reading it from a file when the user requested the data, you would be in trouble very quickly because you have 10,000 people hitting the, the file or the uh, hard drive. When you have a single user, it's how a computer works. So you can actually easily store the data on file, on, on disk, and read it from disk. So um, it's actually surprising. I was very surprised that you could do that, but it's true. And, and it's, it's like direct. 
it's directly a, because there's, there's a single user. There's no shared. There's no shared data here. It's just something. Something D was getting to. Um, you got to download the whole blockchain. Well, that's what that's what I wanted to get to next. Mm-hmm. Is that like, yeah, I said that like, if I wanted to build this stuff from scratch, then I need I need an archive node and I need to run mm-hmm. through this entire index. But what he, what 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 GG has done additionally for people who don't have those resources is basically he's come up with a way to chunk that index up into like a bunch of different pieces and put them on IPFS. So that way, like if you're starting from scratch, there's you don't the have magic. access to this type of thing. Boy, no, no, no. There's the magic. Address. I was like, Here's my address. No, this is this is fucking amazing. Go ahead. Please, <laughs> please you do this part. This is this right. is what's awesome. No, this, this is, is so just awesome. Beyond, this is just beyond ridiculous. Okay. So yes, we have this index that um, comes from immutable data, right? It, like block three million hasn't changed since block three million happened. Right. So once we index it, that data never changes. Right. But if I'm building a regular database index and I'm adding new records to the front of the from the front of the chain and I sort an index is sorted. So I'm sorting that index. Now I've ruined its immutability. So I've I've created an index will not be immutable if you're sorting it. Mm -hmm. So. I didn't like that because I, I want to recognize and um, preserve immutable data. Um, so, and the reason I wanted to do that is because I wanted to put it on IPFS. And that doesn't really work if I'm sorting all the time, it changes the hash. So what I do is I just keep adding to this growing index until it gets to 2 million appearances, 2 million records in the database. And then I sort it and I put that on IPFS and I get back a hash. But then I do something else because now it's immutable. I can take all of those addresses and create a bloom filter in front of this index chunk. So I have a a chunk of an index and I put a bloom filter in front of it, right? And I get from like 50 megabytes, it goes down to about 50K. And I put that on IPFS as well. And then if a user starts and they don't feel like building the index themselves, they can download the entire list of all the Bloom filters onto their hard drive. Jake, can you can you explain what a Bloom filter is real quick? Yeah, so um, it's a way to uh, take, um, in this case, addresses. Mm-hmm. And, and what I can do is I can uh, represent the entire 2 million records in uh, probably one one hundredth as much space by just putting a little ones and zeros that represent the addresses. Mm-hmm. And um, it allows me to say, is the address that I'm interested in in the index chunk? And if it is, th- only then do I download the full index chunk. Mm-hmm. It's a, so I don't yeah, think I explained that. that we try that in a different way. So like, yeah. at, no, I, I, I understand it. Yeah, but others may not because I, okay. I, I think it's it's bloom filters are really weird, uh, and and more often than not they're used in crypto for privacy preserving methods, right? And, and it's because what it's saying is, me as a user, I want to get information from somebody who has it. I don't have anything on my desktop or my computer, uh, and I want to query a node that I know has this information, but I don't want to expose to them what I'm asking for. 
So what I what I say, and this is what this is how you make a bloom filter. You say, here's a pattern. Give me back everything you have that matches this pattern. And depending upon how explicit or like detailed my pattern is, like it gives away how much information that I care about. If I said, give me everything you have with this full address, then it's going to know exactly what what address I'm looking for and the types of information I, I want to know. And so like it'll return less information, but it'll know exactly what I want. Mm-hmm. As opposed to say, give me everything you have that has addresses that start with these four characters. And so like, it can't really know what address that I'm actually looking for, right. but I'm going to get a lot more data. And so you what may, he's done, okay, go ahead. Uh, I'm sorry. And you may even get a chunk that doesn't have your address in it. So you have to actually say, you know, just give me everything you have. I don't want to tell you too much, but, um, and then you have to search yourself to see if it's in there or not. So we use this to avoid downloading the larger chunk. So we only download the bloom filters. And then what we want to do, and we haven't quite gotten this far, is we want to pin those bloom filters on IPFS. So anybody that uses our system pins the bloom filters. And what happens now is the more users we get, unlike a website, the more users we get, the better the data gets because Mm -hmm. everybody's pinning it. And this is exactly what distributed software is supposed to be like, that the more users you add, the better the system gets, not the other way around. And then another thing that's really amazing is um, let's say I scan through the bloom filters and I find that I, that J rush needs 27 actual chunks of the index. So I download those 27 chunks and I pin those 27 chunks. So now I'm pinning some portion of the entire index and you do it and you get a 55 other chunks and you pin those, but there may be overlap between the two. So now as a community, we're all helping each other by downloading and pinning this one thing that's missing from the node that allows us to get direct access to the data that we want. So that's what I'm trying to build. It's really hard to communicate that. It's really hard to, even figure out how to make that work. But uh, that's what I'm kind of trying to get to. And I'm, I'm getting pretty far, actually. So mm. it's crazy. It's crazy. So, like crazy. so like every single time you sort it, you basically pin that sort and you hash what changed. Is that how it's able to keep it all organized? Is that, is uh, that, well, no? What we do is we, we just keep looking at the chain and each time a block comes in, we extract every address from the block all the way down through that whole call chain of all the smart contracts all the way to the bottom. And we add that to our index and then we sort that. And then we say, is there 2 million records in the, in the index? And if there is, then we stop adding to that chunk. We don't add any more. Mm. The next block will be added to the next chunk. Mm. And then we and then we um, write it to IPFS. Then we build a bloom filter and write the bloom filter to IPFS. And then we keep track of the chunk. You know, the chunk has a certain block range in it, and it has two hashes: one for the bloom, one for the index. And so to like keep that keep that in mind in terms of like you as an end user, what you end up doing is to say like I'm in front of this piece of software on my desktop. Um, give me all of the things that happened with my personal address. And it says, all right, 
I know how to ask that question to the blockchain. And it says, uh, it, so basically I, I have that list of indexes from all of the different blocks, all the, all the Bloom filter indexes. Okay. And I say, all right, so what blocks do I need to download in order to get all of the transactions? Which is, which is a reasonable thing to ask without exposing any, any information to, to anybody. Right. And so it says, all right, you need, you need blocks X, Y, and Z. Maybe it, block, it, it brings down 20 different blocks. Chunks. Chunks of chunks of transactions from yes. it, all over the blockchain. And then it looks through those and pulls out. So like each chunk is going to have, we'll say, we'll just for round numbers, say a thousand transactions in them. And it says like, well, you have two from this block, 15 from this, from this chunk, 20 from this chunk, whatever, right? And it says like, now here's all your stuff, but we're going to keep the chunks. We're going to pin those. And so what happens is that like by me getting my information in a very privacy preserving way, in a very efficient privacy preserving way from the, from the, from the blockchain, not only am I like, I have like all of my data in front of me that I can query immediately, quickly. I've also helped support the network for anyone else who happens to need those chunks, right? Because right. I only need like 20 transactions in a given That's time. Right. That's right. But like there could be tens of thousands in a given chunk. Two million. And now I, I'm supporting that part of the blockchain for anyone else who needs to have it. That's right. And then, and what's, what's interesting is um, um, people tend to interact with each other a lot as well. It, it, mm-hmm. You know, you interact with your friends, your friends interact with you. So you kind of help each other more on a friend by friend basis. But the other thing that happens is, uh, smart contracts like Uniswap actually hits every single Bloom filter with a positive. And so if they were using it, they would download every single chunk. And now Uniswap is storing the entire index, which to me is fair because Uniswap is benefiting the most mm-hmm. from having their smart contract. So they kind of, as a result of just downloading this index and wanting to get their own data, uh, they help the whole community by pinning this thing themselves. Mm-hmm. So the whole thing is about 70 gigabytes big. The whole That's fair. I find that very interesting too, because then as a business, like if you're trying to prove a business case, you could say like, look at my blockchain saturation. I'm in all the blocks, baby. Yeah, that's a metric for, pe- pe- for people are that's a, that's people a are using good me. Metric for success. Like pe- people are using me. I'm in all the blocks, baby. Sorry, I'm, you know, I got a little marketer in me somewhere. He pops out, but yeah. like, <laughs> that's cool. But, I never thought about that, but that's good. Yeah, no, it's true. Yeah. It's directly, uh, it's directly related, right? If you keep thinking about it, you got my email, TJ. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, so no, um, damn. So one. I think it's very sexy because that kind of answered my question because the way you started talking about you blocks, I was like, well, that just implies I have to have a 80,000 terabyte hard drive eventually because I'm going to have to keep memory of all these times that I've searched through the blockchain, um, but using leveraging uh, IPFS, which is uh, I'm pretty sure I'm in this on the interplanetary file system. That's right. All right, cool. Sometimes I can get it wrong Um, to actually store these things so that's that's pretty slick so you're 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 storing a little more than you need but not everything when you think about running a blockchain node you need to you need to do all of it right and so the goal is to build software that allows you to get only the information you need 
in a privacy preserving way, which means that you use things like bloom filters, which gives you a little more than what you actually need. It does. In the process of like retrieving and getting a little more than you actually need, you end up like helping serve the entire community. That's right. Because that's to me is just that's what one of the benefits of these decentralized networks is, is that we, you know, it it gets better the more people use it. You know, it's a network effect, basically. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, so that's that's what I'm building. I'm trying to, um, you know, trying to, so that that's kind of the infrastructure part that I'm building because I kind of need that to build my application. Then I'm building on top of that, I'm building applications where I can actually see this data now. So I want to, you know, I can imagine building like a DAO, you know, a DAO dashboard or something like that, or, you know, personal dashboard or something along those lines. And, uh, and we get, because we see every single transaction, we actually get enough information to balance these accounts down to the 18th decimal place. And that's the other thing that we've been able to do. Um, I think because we're not dealing with this giant, big data situation, right? We're very, very focused on a single account. Uh, Every time that my accounting doesn't balance, I fix a bug in my code. And over time, you know, we fixed all the bugs. So our accounts balance now. Now we might run into your account and you're doing some kind of crazy DeFi things and then we won't balance, but then we would debug that and fix that problem. So. So I really want to get to the point where, because I'll go, I'll go all the way back to the beginning. When I get into the DAO situation, I want to see what it's like to actually have people that have direct access to their own data and they do fully understand what's happening on the chain and they understand what other people are doing. They understand what they're doing because I want to live in a world where our software helps us work together without fear of not knowing what's happening. If we know what's happening on the software, we're more likely to participate in the software, I think. Yeah. So. It's uh, you hit the nail on the head. Uh, the word is fear, yeah. right? And that, that's how things get centralized. It right? is, it's exactly that's it, it's It's fear. Um, I have a anecdotal story, but I'm, I'm helping someone, I hope someone moved a large amount of their crypto holdings onto a hardware wallet and then gave them instructions as to what not to do. And then he flirted with the what not to do. And then when I went in and I scanned the address and I saw all zeros, I was like, okay, so why didn't you listen? Uh, And his face lost blood and I almost turned white, which is hard to do. If you're watching, you can see why. But I was like, what did you do? So then I went over to, I had to go, I fixed everything. And I was like, okay, so remember what I told you exactly what to do and what not to do? Like follow that this time. But now what I've actually created is a central point of failure in myself. No, you're right. Right. right? And so um, it's just hard. And so I guess what I'd ask is like, what would you feel are because you're I feel like you move in such a, a platform of confidence, like you said, because like, I'll just go take a hike. You know, if, if you listen or not, I don't care. I'm going to go take a hike. Yeah, what, what are, no stopping <laughs> me. There's no stopping. <laughs> what would you say are the um, I guess the keystones of how to educate users and and how to. And how they should be behaving when it comes to uh, blockchain tech, oh, right? Boy. Yeah, that's tough. It's a deep question. It's I know. Really, really, really tough. You know, I, I go back to the guys that 
or the, the, the men and women who built Bitcoin. I go back to them and um, they just plugged along and they built a piece of software that worked how it worked. And it, it laid stuff on people's doorstep and just said, this is what it is. This is how it works. And you're going to have to figure out how to deal with this, with this new piece of software in the world, because, you know, we're just going to engineer this thing the way it needs to be engineered so that it works the way that it should work. And the people that need to keep up and be educated, um, in some way, you kind of have to build a system that doesn't even allow them to not be educated. You know, they can interact with the system without being educated because the system doesn't work in a way that is detrimental, mm-hmm. I think. That's kind of what Bitcoin did, is they admitted that there's going to be bad people in the world and the system they built is going to work anyway in the face of these people that are, you know, evil yeah. doers or something. So I do think most great systems work that way. Like it's just a flirt, this like never ending flirtation between like centralized yeah. and decentralized. Like, yeah. for example, if I want to be a company right now and go work on bridges, I have that right but I got to pass a whole lot of tests and have a whole mountain of knowledge before I can just go work on a bridge. Right. Right. And it's kind of like, we're just kind of repeating that cycle, which kind of takes us, man, I feel like we have to have a part two of the interview. We never even flirted with why blockchain is turning into the internet and we're all fearing for our lives. We'll bring JT back on and then it's just so go bad. full prognostication. Mode. Oh man. This, I want to hear that. Really, I, I really <laughs> want to hear can that. Can we bring part. you on again? Can two? we go for a part two? Like I, that's one thing I really wanted to talk about. Cause I've talked about this for years now. Corey's probably tired. That'd of be fun. It. Cause we, we've talked about this before. Like we, I think we've had a few people on that, had a, a an inclination towards what the internet was like in the early days and how it how it moved towards a centralized service. Why don't we have you back on to talk about that and how what blockchain is currently doing is following that mold? I'd love to. It's all about the hardware, by the way. So, well, let's go ahead and wrap this because we have to, not because we want to, with some of our trademark questions. Jesse, I'll let you go first. All right. Uh, TJ, is what you do actually difficult? For me, no. Dang, okay. This man moves with confidence. <laughs> I need some I'm, confidence. I'm like, no, I'm kidding. Can I, the reason I say that is because I'm so obsessive that I can't stop. Mm. Okay. I need some some of that confidence drip in my what life. What he's doing is very hard. I'm gonna, I'll yeah. uh, so if you listeners think it's not, go listen to the interview again and then <laughs> alright, and then what I will ask you is uh, in 10 words or less can you describe um, should I go Ethereum or should I say blockchain? It's your choice, bro. Mm, in 10 words or less can you describe Ethereum? Uh, um, um, the best data that's ever existed in the world history, the best data that's ever existed in the history of the world. Okay. I like, I like it when we ask that question and the immediate response is, 
It's like, damn it, how do I do this? That's brutal. That one's tough. Well, uh, TJ, thank you very much for coming on the show. I had a, I had a um, inkling this would be a very good interview. When I saw it was like a, I was up at like three in the morning and I saw it was either a tweet that you were in or a medium tweet. post that you did. But I saw YouTube. it and I was it's like, YouTube, wasn't it? It's a tweet I, that had a YouTube clip. Yeah, a tweet that had a YouTube clip of True Blocks. And then I sent that to Alicia and I was like, we need to get this guy on the show. And like, that's it. Like, that's and I was it. like, hey, I know so, JT. I know True Blocks. Let's do this. <laughs> yeah. So, um, all right. Well, thank you very much. Uh, for, did you just call him JT? He did. Oh, okay. I was like, I'm not saying the wrong thing. Okay. Thank you very much. Um, of course, I hope we can get a part two very soon, you know, before we get into our normal cadence of things. Uh, we can put you back on. And uh, yeah, that's all I got. No, it's a great pleasure. I'm really glad to see you guys get get to know you a little bit. And Corey, thank you as always for everything. You're you're great. Thank you. You, you, you hear me. You, there's people that hear me you're in the doing world. Doing the right thing, in my opinion. So we'll try and boost you up as best we can. Appreciate it. Really appreciate it. Thanks for your time. I was. I really enjoyed that interview. I really thoroughly enjoyed Why? that interview. Um. Well, one, I've offered him to come back almost immediately for the part two of the interview. Um, but I like people that are logically consistent, at least on the outside. Looking. What do you mean? Um, they say, I don't like that because of this. And when that situation actually comes, they behave exactly as they say. Oh, you said logically consistent. I thought they said yeah. illogically consistent. I was no, like, log- shit, put them on Logi- front street. <laughs> logically, <laughs> logically consistent. Okay. And I appreciate I appreciate that. He's a man that says like, hey, people's data should be their own. The blockchain should service the people and not just layers of services on top of it that guard the people from the blockchain, which is almost an eventuality, but that's going to be for another show. And then... Um, you know, I appreciate the conviction of him taking the time and waiting for the the industry, not the industry, the technology itself to develop to a point where he can leverage it to give some of that power back to the user. Right? He's if, been trying for forever. I've, I've known, I've, like I said in the interview, I've known him for a long time, and he's been trying to do this and working on software to get it done because it is incredibly hard for a while. Yeah, it's that the. the it's all so that's something that I was trying to get to in the interview and he got to it before I could get to it. But like when you have a never you have an ever expanding chain of memory, the only way to make that make sense efficiently over time is instead of having that ever expanding chain belong to everyone, you've got to be able to chunk it up and take record of how you organize it. Right. That's it. He's like building a library for lack of a better term, of chunks of how he's organized the blockchain. And then each, and there's, let's just call it- He changed the way it's chunked up. And when you think about a blockchain, it's chunked up in terms of blocks, right? Mm -hmm. Whatever transactions that happen in a given period of time- get transformed the data. And and that's immutable. But like, if I want to ask the blockchain uh, a question- that isn't in line with how it chunks data, it becomes really inefficient, right? If I'm not asking it what happened in this block, then it's like, 
hold up. It's going to, it's going to be a second before I can answer this question. Cause I got to go through all the history of, of, of whatever it is to make sure that I answer your question correctly. So like, if you ask a node, if we're, we'll just talk about Ethereum for now. If you ask an Ethereum node, hey, uh, what are all the transactions of this given account? It's like, well, here's the transactions of this given account in the last block or the last 100 blocks. Before that, you're going to have to wait a while mm-hmm. because I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't, for most yeah. nodes on Ethereum, they don't, they literally don't have that information. It's not there. Mm-hmm. So, because of the way cryptography the big, works, the, they don't the, have to keep those things. He changed the the he changed it it would be more accurate to say not he changed the data he changed the accessibility and he made decentralization more efficient yeah so like he he made it he made it easier to ask the question that Mm -hmm. most end users are going to ask right most of the people who want to ask the blockchain for information give a shit about themselves or like it's account based, right? So like, what is what did this account do? What was the amount that this account held at this point? Mm-hmm. As opposed to what happened at this block. And those two questions are drastically different, technologically yeah. speaking. They different. And so what he's done is found a way to make that question, the question that most people want to ask, more available for people who don't want to rely on third party services. And I think it like I think what he's doing is is wonderful and should be just thrown money at. Yeah. So this, this can be taken up like so like this concept isn't unique to Ethereum. Anytime mm-hmm. that you have uh, a data structure that's optimized for storing information in a specific way, like yeah. a blockchain is, we have a block every given amount of time. And it does, and it does, and it, and it, yeah. and it, store, it it's optimized for making sure that it can keep track of that information. And if I'm coming onto the network, it's optimized for getting in sync as fast as possible so it can contribute to being at like the head of that chain as it, as it adds blocks, right? That's the whole goal of, mm-hmm. of a node in blockchain. Turns out that's really shitty for asking like different kinds of questions that aren't optimized for that one thing. And so what he's trying to do, I think, is usable across the industry in terms of how do we optimize, how do we find ways to make sure the types of questions actual users are asking is optimized. With um, with projects like uh, TJ's, uh, you know, it's inevitable that one day he's going to find a mountain of money to, in order to make it better and even more user-friendly. And in that mountain of money, he's probably going to have outlined uh, job openings that he will need to have filled. And so if you join our Slack, there's a good opportunity that we could help you find and close that job opening. 100%. I think there's a sh- there should be a short video. Are you working in a job that sucks bows? Does your job suck and ergo your life? Do you want to change that because your life is sucking? Join the TBP Slack. Get a better job. <laughs> By the way, we have a new, we have a new commercial coming up. Yeah, That's going to be pretty funny. By the way, Alicia, I have secured the asset yeah. for the commercial. I, I had the asset secured, but my girlfriend's child ate my Cheetos. So. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. It was, so, it was one of those moments I was like, oh, cool. A you whole brought bag up- of Cheetos? 
Oh, I mean, yeah, man. Not the big one. It was like a gas station size. But like uh, gas station size bags of flaming hot Cheetos. But um me. So anyways, so, so anyways, I look over at the couch Shame. and she's like just munching down on some Cheetos. And I was like, damn, you love Cheetos. You brought Cheetos over here. And then my girl was like, <laughs> No, those are those Cheetos that were in that bag. And I was like, In that bag. They're all in bag. bags. What's she talking like about? The gas station bag that I had on my kitchen oh. counter. Yeah. And I was like, those were a prop. Those were for my eating. And she was like, <laughs> and then like typical girlfriend. So she goes, well, you didn't need them anyways. So, and I was like, fuck's that supposed to me? I squat. Fuck. But anyways, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so anyways, we got another Cheeto coming to you. Uh, another commercial coming to you soon. <laughs> it's going to be good. Turns out it's um, involved with Cheetos because we well, this is what I want to talk because we're going to have a super duper duper long show. Uh, but what I wanted to say was there's two things. Um, well, really just one. We can talk about the one. And it has to do with the logical consistency that of uh, Warren Buffett, who hates Bitcoin or at least says he hates Bitcoin. But he's sticking to his guns, right? Um, he says he hates Bitcoin. So he, um, oh yeah, join the Slack. Come, in, come on in here. Uh, so on the eve of Wells Fargo saying they are now going to offer crypto funds to their wealthiest clients, because, you know, why would they give it to anyone else? Only people that are that have money need more money. So they're going to offer crypto to their wealthiest clients. Warren Buffett immediately after removed all of his shares of Wells Fargo. He sold them all. He liquidated all of it. $34.6 million of Wells Fargo shares. He said, you know what, Wells Fargo? I don't play that Bitcoin shit. That's that's, that's, consistent. You got to give him that. He said, not here, bub. Not here, not today. I'm not playing that Bitcoin shit with you, Wells Fargo. So after 36 years, 37 years, uh, he removed his uh, his holdings of Wells Fargo. He well, for this particular instance, uh, good. Fuck Wells Fargo. They're a terrible company. Yeah. They're, well, they're, they're just wrought with fraud. Bro, you say that like you got into a fight with them in the yard. Dude, have you have you read the things they've done to their users? Wells um, yeah. Fargo was a terrible organization. Uh, yeah, they've done some pretty bad things. Also, I guess kudos to him for sticking to his guns, consistent. right? Sticking to his guys. He's, he's yeah. wrong, but like, good for him. Sticking to his guns, you know. So, um, what were we? Uh, I mean, that's all I really wanted to bring up as far as uh, banks go. Um, I really don't have any more talking points for today, guys. Unless you guys want to talk about something particularly interesting Comments? in crypto. We have, we have a we have like a few people watching. Y'all can y'all can say uh, a comment, and we will try and talk about it. How about that? Well, we Fargo is basura. That means it's trash. trash. It's yeah. Smash. And we also have no. It's not Portuguese. Portuguese is lixo. We have another comment from the audience here. Great interview. It was. It was a great interview. When we post the whole interview. Oh wait. I think like I said, streamed I want to bring that back. It. Why? Yeah, it's, the, the interview is already out. It might be on yeah. patrons only for now, but it'll be out soon. We don't uh, even know what we did. Why did you like that interview so much? Um. One. I love it when I can follow on with these super technical conversations. So that's always fun for me. I kind of 
could could keep up with the dude, which like gives me confidence about what the hell's going on in this crazy ass industry. Um, two, I like that he's a he's a poet. So we went from computer and just software developer to teaching poetry in high school to back to software development. And I just like someone who moves with the conviction of I don't give a fuck what anyone has to say. I'm going to do this because at the end of the day, if uh, you can get mad, I'm going to go do whatever I want. You know, like he's I just like that. Well, that's kind of the point of this. Like, in my opinion, I think what you just said there is a good portion of why I care about this stuff is that at the end of the day, how you feel makes zero impact on me. Like, mm-hmm. like on a, on a worldwide view, like the game is set up in such a way where I don't have to give a shit about anyone else but me. Well, and because your ability to impact me is very low, right? So like the games of Bitcoin is set up in such a way where it's fair, relatively fair. It's way fairer than anything else in terms of like monetary distribution. Mm-hmm. And, and everyone understands how it works. And that's yeah. And like no one can censor me. So like you not liking what I have to say doesn't have an impact on me. I like that. Like that's that's something I'm really really into. And that's a good portion of like the concept of blockchain. Mm-hmm. And if you look at like most of the idealists who started this this movement in early Bitcoin and early Ethereum, it's how do we find a way to distribute power in such a way where a few small people can't yeah. influence the masses without them having any say about it. And that's the big part about a lot of this stuff. And I, I, I want to drive that home. Like, if if that's not the case, then it isn't blockchain. It's just some fucking database. Yeah. What I'd like to talk about in the next roundtable is what you were talking about in the Avalanche channel, which is this concept of permissionless. And I'd like to explore that a little bit deeper and talk about what it means uh, for a company to patent its technology, does that mean that they don't have confidence in their ability to build a community that will stay because people can just fork the, or not fork, but they could just basically clone the network? I, I think it speaks volumes mm-hmm. to, to the direction that is going opposite your what you believe in, Corey. I agree. Is what I'm getting uh, at. I would love to have... Uh long conversation about that mm-hmm. because it's it's incredibly nuanced and yeah. i'm not going to say there's a right answer because it's just it's so yeah. tangled with human greed and the and the way things get done in the world that there are ways in which getting a patent is actually good but it like the process of doing it automatically has implications that are what I would consider like anathema mm. to the concept of blockchain. So all you have to do is I would recommend you, you would ask yourself, what would TJ do? Good question. I don't know what TJ would do. It's not anathema. It's not anathema. No, it's, it's anathema. 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 Wow. I fucking <laughs> a lot. I have messed that word up quite have a lot. Have you said that in like public and people were like, yeah, I know what that means. 
Well, because nobody's dropping, nobody's dropping anathema in everyday conversations. So when I drop anathema, very wrong. Everyone's like anathema. Look at you with I words. Like, I like it when people like, be like, yeah, I know what that word means. Yeah, I know it. Yeah, context. It's perfect. Nailed it. Just, <laughs> um, zip it up and zip it out. Jesse, you know what I just noticed after doing this for like a year and a half now with you is that you don't talk much in these roundtables. Are you like researching? Are you studying no, while we sh- while we? Record? Oh no, I sometimes sometimes I'm looking uh, other random stuff up, but no, I'm just digesting what you guys. Yeah, I, like you can't think about things if you're actively thinking about what to say if you're talking all the time. You right? got to learn to just talk. Yeah. No, but like I'd like to, you know, really digest what are is you, being are you said. worried that you don't have a good enough opinion? No, absolutely not. Because I I will talk when. When I have a, a a decent argument or or something that I think is relevant to add, I appreciate that you like ingest all this. Like you're just sitting and ingesting. Like mm-hmm. if you watch the majority of the shows that Jesse's been a part of, he's just sitting and like thinking about what we're saying. No, I mean I've had enough of talking with what header, just the header, like a long time ago. <laughs> Holy shit, that's like it was like like two uh, two years. Like year yeah, we ran that for almost two years, and it Ooh. got to the point where we were both just like, I don't want to do this anymore. Headline. I really don't. These headlines, These headlines are. Rough. I remember reading it. Those like like the 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 what the headers like. So for those who don't know, uh, D and Jesse used to run a show on the network called What the Headers, where every week they would go through a lot of the like leading headlines across a few different media sources and talk about them, and then mm-hmm. give commentary basically on each headline. Yeah, and. Uh, it drained the life out of them in about two <laughs> weeks, but they kept doing it for two years. So <laughs> that's that's who we are, Jesse. That's mm. how we get down. Stick with you know, it. Sometimes you know you just gotta power through. You don't they like said the that shit. to me, and I'm like, fuck that. Have fun. Like, <laughs> that's, 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 I think that was my response when D told me about the a headline show. <laughs> What what the headers did have a great intro and outro. Shout out to me for producing that shit, baby. No, good playing. job, D. Uh, um, let's let's talk about what Tim said. So Tim was adding on to what we were talking about earlier with the uh, permissionless uh, the patents. They're covering their asses and hiding the symbol inside of the complex. I think we should save this for the next episode. Like, I, I would like to go. I would like to go. Like, I would Deep. have like a long. I would like to have a long conversation about this concept yeah. because I think it's. It's not fair to 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 like yeah. give it a single perspective and walk away. There's I too agree. much. There's too much involved with like <laughs> what this movement means and how patents inter- interact with it. <laughs> I love. I felt, dude, the same way. In which find, I watched, who got the gift for that? Uh, Alicia does all this. Alicia, Alicia. well played. Like uh, the same way in which I watch all of the Matrix uh, every year because I'm that guy because why not is I, now for like the last three years I watch all the Lord of the Rings once every year now so and they boring. get better. No, they're not, bro. Have you? When's the, the last time you watched them, dude? So one of my buddies uh, wrote down and and like detailed every single spell. Whack. What you're about to say is whack. Spell, spell that Gandalf did right why would he do that that's the first question why didn't that dude use hot sword more often what wait what are you talking wait that motherfucker used hot sword he's just like hey your your sword's hot you can't use it anymore oh yeah like episode one or whatever and then never use it again like what dude 
Some of your some of your spells are dumb as shit. Yeah, that's very true. Why not use I've hot always, sword all the time? I've always wondered that too. It's like if you can make all their swords hot so they can't grab them, why not just do that one time? You know? <laughs> but you know, it's like, you know, he's like, I only got so much wizard juice in the stick, baby. No. Like, he's got all you you shall not pass. Like you, he's got all kinds of magic. And he's just like, nah, not gonna use it. I'm gonna smoke some the smoke's dope and then hang yeah. out and watch these hobbits like run around you're absolutely right because like now lately when i watch it i'm like you know for a wizard he's not really taking advantage of his power here <laughs> like why is he riding on this horse when he just was flying on an eagle and like why <laughs> like yeah. i'll just ask you i'll just i'll just i'll just call this butterfly in here to whisk me away yeah like uh come on man you gotta be a little better than that, Gandalf. But anyways, we're clearly gonna wrap this show up because we're talking about. I didn't see a train, so I'm, I can't. Um, so let's go ahead and do the things. Uh, go ahead and become a patron if you'd like. Um, you know, you can go to Patreon.com/slash The Bitcoin Podcast, and you can become a patron, and you'll get things. Uh, you can go and you can see what the tiers are, and you'll get those things and more benefits to come as we try and make this slowly robust as we approach the 10 year mark. I think we're approaching the six year mark very rapidly. Um, also June. you can join the Slack. Um, yes, June, no June. June was the first official release. May 31st was the first action of us doing things. Right. Okay. So, um, Slack, um, join it, have great conversations, learn. One of the people in our Slack has made a business, from all of the knowledge, he's made a business out of this stuff in a very Omega brain way. Is that what I did? I say that right, Jesse? Omega Galactic. Omega Galactic brain move, what this man did. And he's already seeing lots of transactions. Um, and yeah, you can actually check out what the header's still, but it's like a hidden link. Like you got to go to the Bitcoin podcast.com. Sorry, you put it back on like the regular, regular. We should put shows. all of our archive, archive, put the whole thing back. back up there. I'll put it back. My bad. Um, uh, also, iTunes reviews, and this is very important, especially to you five watching now. This might come off as abrasive, but if you on your podcast app, if you go and you give us a rating and you are thinking of giving us anything but five stars, you can go fuck yourself. That's right. I said it. And we're streaming this anywhere. That could be that could be family members watching me right now. But if you go on your podcast, there should probably be some NSFW tags yeah. somewhere. Oh, yeah. We curse. We curse on here. This is what it is. You're an adult, hopefully. I hope children are watching us at this hour. Mm, there's probably some kids. Anyways. Um, yeah, give us a five-star review. Uh, some shout-outs. Let's see some shout-outs here we got here. Lori Harvey, doing your thing. Shout-out to you. Don't know why you're popular, but it might be for dating this guy. Shout-out to Michael B. Jordan. Uh, he We give him shout-outs. This guy gets it. Because he got... Yeah, five five stars. You're getting the slap. All right. And then he put this uh, afterwards, just to just to like pull it, like make it politically correct. Uh, shout out to old wide face over here, Zoe Saldana doing her thing. Nothing like a wide face and a long neck. Nah, she's not wide face anymore. She's like legit. Mm. That aspect ratio is accurate. No, that's a normal aspect ratio. She's a big ass mouth, dude. That's what I'm saying. It's a wide mouth and a long neck. All right. Shout out to Meg the Stallion doing your thing. That's not the typical way people are looking at you from the front. They're usually looking at you from the other side, but you still look good, girl. Uh, Michelle Obama, you know, got nothing else more I can say about that. She's, she's you know, priceless. Gabrielle Union, uh, that's a really old picture of you. Everyone knows you're aging, but 
I mean that in a really good way. Like you're aging like fine wine. Uh, here we go. Um, who's next? Is that everybody? Is everybody? We need some. We need some. I don't think oh, that's everybody. Nice. No, that is everybody. Oh, Zazie Beats. How you doing, girl? Do your thing. All Let's right. get some non-black chicks in here. Um, <laughs> excuse me. <laughs> well, you you give us, yeah, give a shout out, bro. You got a corner. Lift your hand I up. I don't. I don't have. I don't have right 14, 14 pictures in front of me. Lift your right I probably hand also I couldn't name any. I couldn't up. also name anyone you put on the screen. So let's give it a shot. Bring uh, up Alicia. Uh, you got a minute to put a non-black chick in the top right corner and see yeah. if I can name her. Yeah. I don't know what I don't know. If I going. name her before you name her, then I just have a thing with faces. Let's do this. Where does this go? By the way, if people call me a person of color, can I call a white person a person of shade? Like a person, person of, of not, not color? Person of not <laughs> color? Like what how, how am I, I feel like you could do that. Like you're just a person of not color. Yeah. Like I'm I'm clearly look at me. Like, yeah. Not, person, not <laughs> I'm a person of not color. A person of non color is what that person is. I call you guys my Caucasian brethren. That usually gets a good laugh. I can't get away with calling you my black brethren. You can't. I don't know her name, but she was Come in. Come on, uh, Lucy Lou. What the fuck, bro? Lucy, Lucy Lou. Let's try another. I know one. What she's in? I don't know names. She's Lucy Lou. It's fucking. She's in. She's in Kill Bill. Also, Charlie's Angels. Yeah. Right, At least I, you know I, her her body of work. Can we do one more? This is kind of fun. Charlize, just one more. Just one more. Charlize. That's definitely not Charlize. I think he was just saying put up Charlize. Yeah, he wanted. Oh, that Charlize. means Corey knows what Charlize looks like. You heard that? He's like, that ain't, that ain't Charlize. <laughs> Get that, that bullshit out of here. <laughs> I know that is. Let's get right. one more. Oh, I think we're done. Come here. on, one more. Just one. All right, one, one more. more. All right, Alicia, get one more. You like? Look at you. You're like ready. This is fun, dude. This would be a good game. This would be a good game. I'm good at this. Whoever's last has to take a shot. Who is that? Yeah, I know oh, she's in Hidden oh. Dragon. Or we should go Asians? Or so like, to scope pure Asians? God, what is her name? If they're not black, they're Asian. Name. I don't know her name. Uh, I, I do know, know that she's an amazing actress, and she was in Crouching Tiger, she Hidden is. Dragon. That seems like a Crouching. weird picture. I don't, I don't recognize what she's, she's in. in. She was in Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Yeah. You remember they did the floaty kung fu? Right? Kung Michelle fu. Yao, according Michelle to Yao. Our, our, our fan base here. Yeah, we got that one wrong. This is gonna get petty in trouble, according to Dylan. Dude, <laughs> Dylan, you should you should go listen to the first hundred episodes of this podcast, yeah. and listen to de-alienate every single race and culture mm-hmm. on the planet. This podcast is my glass ceiling. I'll tell you, <laughs> I'll tell you that much, right? If I ever run for office anywhere, they're gonna be like, "Ah, uh, wait, wait, did you say this?" Like, oh yeah yeah i said those parts yeah I said yeah. That. yeah yeah is this like a tweet can i delete that this is like a tweet all right guys uh thank you for listening do all the things we ask you to do or don't it's up to you play the outro see you next week